Massive thank you as always to our top tier patrons, Sarah Turner and Alexander Lashley. For as little as $3, you can gain access to patron-only episodes, as well as access to our Discord server, where we host weekly live discussions with host Ekoi Hero and myself. So if you like what you hear, come join us at patreon.com forward slash it's not just in your head. Please do rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media. We're on Reddit, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any questions or comments about this episode or the podcast in general, then email it's not just in your head at gmail.com. In the mental health field, too often, we've made it seem as if it's just in your head. Just in your head. The landlord can hijack the rent by 20%. That impacts people's mental health. We can't have a profit-driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy. Nothing really symbolizes stagnation and immovable social barriers. The opposite of work hard, try hard, and you'll get ahead. Nothing like that hierarchy is worse than the royal family. The royals have cost the taxpayers of England a million, $100 million this year at a time when, according to the statistics, British families will lose a thousand pounds of value this year. Why? Why are they doing this? I mean, the royal family is worth $28 billion. The National Health Service is falling apart. $28 billion would help enormously. And it's such a sketchy royal family. (laughs) Really, when uh, Andrew walked by, In The Guardian and The Independent, they reported that people were screaming pervert, disgusting, things like that. Someone was arrested. That wasn't reported in the American press, even though America was supposed to have a revolution to be liberated from the monarchy. It wasn't even reported. Right. Yeah, he was a young dude called Andrew, a sick old man. Yeah, Prince Andrew who had to pay a $16 million fine rather than have a trial. And the queen helped him out with the royal dollars earned by Britons. It's such a scandal that we have to figure out what's in it for people who are suffering, as the British people are, to adulate this queen whose money is money that was taken from them. Not only them, of course, they did kill the imperial family, did kill 20 million or more people from India in their uh, imperial grandness, as well as even in a little country like Kenya, they killed a million and a half people to establish the grand royal rule. I mean, what, what is this about? In America, as well as England, this adoration of a symbol of a huge ripoff It's like people in the medieval era going to the grand church and saying it's beautiful because it's God's house and forgetting they built it. They built it. I think we have to address the psychological phenomenon that is announced by this adoration of this suspicious bunch, uh, which is the royal family. Yeah, I think the most um, charitable take on it that uh, I've witnessed, I guess, over the past couple of weeks was that people obviously have used the Queen as a sort of landmark for their own events in their life. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think the kindest read on all of it is just that it's the end of an era and it probably makes a lot of people reflect on their own mortality. It probably has mirrors, maybe some family dynamics with people's um, grandparents or their mothers, regardless of, of the money thing or the class thing. At its core, there's this just humanness that relates to uh, time, um, mortality, and all that stuff. That's like me being nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it. I think every funeral has that aspect. But in this one, I think in the United States, at least, I really couldn't speak about it in England, although I assume it has some of the same attributes. There's a fawning worship of money itself and of ostentatious spending. I mean, people have lauded Trump for cheating our country out of his taxes. And while Letitia James in New York, our amazing attorney general in New York, um, has revealed that Trump lied about everything. Instead of the art of the deal, it's the art of the steal, that he wildly inflated the values of his properties when he wanted to borrow money and minimized them so that he got away with not paying taxes, thereby robbing Americans of our treasury. And yet he has fawning followers who just worship his wealth. Mm. That wealth itself is considered a worship worthy attribute, which uh, and the ostentatious wealth display of the royal family, I think, invites that, at least in the United States. Do you think it's that way in England, too? There's a great article that I'll put in the show notes uh, from Dazed magazine, Dazed Digital. It's called Nation of Bootlickers. Why do English people love oppression? And... Um, I think, you know, it goes into all kinds of various things, but one of the things that really struck out, uh, sorry, struck me was this idea of the enjoyment of suffering. How does that work? Well, that idea that <clears throat> these people are better than me. Um, <laughs> and also it, maybe it's a sort of generational thing, you know, because... Certainly a lot of the stuff around um, austerity measures and then Brexit was this idea that we all have to pull together and go through this difficult time and we'll come out of it better and stronger. And given that the sort of generation that enacted all of this stuff uh, wasn't sort of present for the World War II yeah, uh, things which really was about okay. We all have to sort of get together, and um, uh, there is some oh, sort of sense of national unity. Yes, there's there's this weird hangover um, of like I don't know if it's a perversion of wanting that same thing. Like in theory, it's not a perversion because the idea of having some sort of fellow feeling, some sort of 
unity with other people is is kind of a good thing but it's used in this sort of perverse way which is like you must suffer and it's like well okay because the elites told me <laughs> i mean that word is so wrapped up in conspiracy theorist talking points but the uh the upper classes the ruling class have said that we must suffer and we'll come out better for it and it's like well you know that that's the problem isn't it and so the it's sort of in some ways it's accepting your place knowing your place and then in uh, in playing the role and yeah enjoyment's a provocative word enjoying suffering because i'm sure there's lots of people in this country who are going through horrible things and they wouldn't say it was enjoyment but you know and i'm i'm not a psychologist <laughs> i don't know what's going on uh, on that on that level but i do think this article has a point around the idea of passivity mm. and sort of one of the fascinating things i don't know if this got coverage in the states was this idea of um everyone queuing uh to see yes. the, the queen the queen's mm. coffin oh yes five thousand people waiting and waiting yeah well the total number was two hundred and fifty thousand people which is uh, you know the COVID death numbers here are 200,000. So given that it went on for days and days and days, you know, granted it's a slow moving, moving queue, but like if you wanted some visualization of what 200,000 people dead looks like, <laughs> that the queue was like a, a sign of that. But the, the sort of fascinating thing in the coverage of it all is, you know, these news reporters would go and ask people why they were in the queue. And everyone sort of was saying, oh, it's, you know, I just want to do something and be part of part of history and the point that this article was making was that that's exactly the problem is that you think history is something that you just passively happens to you opposed to something that you can shape right yes um, that's brilliant yeah and so i think uh, yeah i mean I, I i wasn't in london but if i was I probably would have gone to queue just to queue for the lols. <laughs> and then at the point that you get to where the queen is, uh, lying in, uh, in that state, I'm not sure I would have gone in. I think that there would have been some sort of anthropological thing you could have done where you just hang out in the queue and you chat to people because it, yes. it almost became some sort of cultural phenomenon where people were just any, you know, I, I don't know what queuing is. Is that a thing in America? I have no idea, but the British thing seems to be very much about like the British people love a queue and, uh, it was like the queue of all queues. So, um, but yeah, that it, it, even for me who I don't, you know, it's obvious. It's an obvious position to be sort of like, we don't need the monarchy. But even for me, I was like, man, actually going to that queue would be hilarious just to be part of something. And that's, again, I think there's actually something organically good about the impulse to just hang out yes. with a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> it's just I agree. To, to do it I to agree. be a bootlicker is, is, is strange. It is because what this whole, you know, you bow, you put your head below hers, or you curtsy. In other words, you read this whole thing reinforce, reinforces the lines of dominance and submission. You submit to the power of wealth, even though your work created it, but you don't see that. You just see the pomp and the splendor. And you see your own subjugation as a subject of the queen and the queen reigning supreme. There is this, you know, your, 
this wild adulation which reinforces the lines of dominance and subordination. And for Americans, it's particularly ironic because there's supposed to be social mobility here, not that there is much, but that you can make it if you really try, if you work hard, you will be rewarded. These people are rewarded for highly suspicious behavior and doing nothing that except being born into this family. And the the queen's sons, one is a really royal pervert, that's Andrew, and the other one is highly suspicious. Oh my God, that you are bowing down before the power you created and absolving yourself of the responsibility that might go with that power that you create together. And so together you subordinate yourself. I, I will say, because the, the queen's image of now being sort of a nice old lady. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I wonder That's how much true. evil you could perpetuate, Harriet, if you wanted to, right? Because people would be like, oh, you're a nice old lady. It's like you could like do all kinds of horrible shit because it's like, um, there's examples, right? Like the... There's one oh, is yes. the more recent thing of of uh, the Queen sort of helping Prince Andrew <laughs> with all his stuff, which is just gross. But yet the Queen sort of gets a, a free pass with all of that stuff. Um, and then there's you know, more historical things like uh, there's an interesting uh, piece in The Guardian uh, from a couple of years ago, which had revealed that the the hiring policy of the of the staff uh, in royalty um, up to I think the sixties was that they wouldn't hire uh, immigrants or you know it basically had the sort of shades of white supremacy that you would expect from a uh, from a royal family like that um, but again you know Queen's a nice old lady so it's free pass but. I think uh, one of the things that a lot of people feel is that that it's all harmless. They don't feel like the royalty have any power, and it's often said on uh, the news mm -hmm. or in debates, "Oh, well, the royalty don't have any power." But it's not true because they have a lot of money, and yes, if and they money have a lot of money, power. yeah, money is power, and they do you know, like the um, hiring policy stuff, they do have the power to shape um, political uh, will, I guess, to some degree. Like yes, the, the Queen's will. private wealth, um, she made a point of that not being public knowledge, and that was a sort of more recent thing. Again, I'll, I'll uh, put up news articles to sort of back up everything I'm saying here. But I think there's something else going on, which is... I'm not sure that the abolish the monarchy thing, I mean, it's depressing on, on in some way because the level of coverage uh, in terms of the BBC news and all that sort of stuff, it had basically been sort of rolling 24-7 from the moment she died until, you know, a couple of days ago. And you realise that, oh, okay, because this is a moment of um, of change and potentially instability because... Uh, this sort of 
popular royal figure has died and this new rule ruler is going to come in, as it were. And if we were a more mobilized country, now would be the time to uh, really push for, yes. hey, let's abolish the, mon abolish the monarchy. But the unions, and I understand why they did it, they basically said, okay, we're not going to do our strike action whilst the, That's right. the, the, they the Queen's thing. Yeah, they suspended it all. And obviously that alienated some people, but it's, you know, in terms of the sort of maneuvering, I guess you have to do that because it appeared like the whole nation was on, you know, grieving and on the side of the royals. So if you really wanted to become an enemy at that point, you would be like, oh, fuck the royalty. Um, and then the unions would be in a bad place. But it is testament to the power that royalty still has over people's minds and imaginations. And, it you know, I've, I've spoken about this um, previously, uh, however many episodes ago, but I think um, uh, the, the, f the funniest idea is that you reclassify the royal family as a performing arts group, and then you get to keep all the pomp and the ceremony, but they have to apply for funding just like any other creative um, art thing. But, but this is the point, right, is that our fairy tales include kings and queens. So that's how deep you, if you're going to challenge anything, like our imagination is so deeply occupied <laughs> by sort of uh, that kind of hierarchy that to remove this thing from people, and it is a losing thing, in my opinion, that it people feel like they are going to lose something. They don't feel like they're gaining something by the royal family uh, being... Uh, d dissolved or reclassified and so uh, what do you do about this sort of fantastical image and performance well um, I think what you could do is emphasize what they're gaining uh, 28 billion dollars and what it could do the 600 well I'm sorry it's 500 pounds that uh, Charles inherits from the Queen without any inheritance tax. And Britain has an inheritance Wait, tax. 500, 500 pounds. Five, that's not a lot of money. No, yeah, it's it was, 500 was it million. 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 Okay, okay. I was like, 100. <laughs> yeah. 500 wouldn't be much. That's <laughs> yeah. true. An insurance tax is much more fair in England. It's 330 something thousand dollars that you're allowed to um, leave. Whereas in the United States, it's 12 million. But um, there's 500 million pounds there. They would be gaining a lot on that. And I think- Yeah, but people, people like waving the flags and seeing someone embody something special, right? And this, and also it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Paddington or you're aware of the, mm -hmm, the books mm -hmm. and all that Paddington, sort of stuff. Paddington, I, I love, yeah. Yeah, I exactly. Every, everyone loves yes. Paddington. And he was in this sketch with the Queen, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And like Paddington 2 is an amazing film. Like it's just a really well done family film and that the ultimate thing is about being kind to each other which is great and the, the, in fact there's a really brilliant book called on kindness by uh, adam phillips and uh someone else whose name i can't remember but um and i'd like to get both of them on the podcast at some point 
um, because kindness is really important. But that's what's so perverse. Like I, fe- <laughs> I felt like Paddington was a fucking sellout because they were aligning. They were very much like all these people were leaving marmalade sandwiches outside the um, fucking Buckingham Palace, oh, along dear. with loads of flowers. Again, if you're a florist, like. It's a great business. Oh, you've made so much money. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. My goodness. And yeah. so and so it's that thing of like um that's the hold that these things have, whether it's Paddington or like fairy tales, princes and kings. Like that's what you're up against if you wanna if you wanna be a Republican. <laughs> and and you know, and this is a sort of point of history, is that the royal family uh, as this article makes the point, it's one of the first sort of European countries to get rid of their monarchy. And then, you know, X number of years later, they're like, oh, please, can we have them back? Because we essentially had a sort of dictator in power. So clearly the monarchy is uncomfortable as it might be. That They serve some sort of stabilizing uh, yes. function. Even if it's, you know, and it's massively screwed up, like to some degree, the British public chose to bring them back. So that's, I mean, I don't understand all those things. I'm, when I say they chose to bring them back, I'm sure a lot of people were like, no. <laughs> but Yes, but I do understand that. And yet, you know, the one sensible thing I heard on the BBC was the representative that represents Jamaica on the parliament said, I'm not so excited about this queen. You know, after you were, this royal family was really big in the slave trade, which shaped Jamaica. And then when the slavery was abolished, you compensated the slaveholders, not the slaves. So the slaveholders are still the richest families in Jamaica. Thanks a lot. I can't really feel a rush of love for the queen. That's what I think of imperialism. And I think there are people all over the world, whether they're in Kenya or in Guyana or in Ireland or Scotland, who share my views. She was very adamant because that's another take on what what the royal did. And when I gave a radio program on the uh, monarchy recently, which was a call-in show, some guy called in and said, yes, it reminds me of a riddle. Why, um, how did it come up that they said, the sun never sets on the British empire? And he said, the answer is, God doesn't trust those motherfuckers in the dark. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I had never heard that. Uh, But he was a West Indian, you know, who had that consciousness. So that there there are these other voices that have been muffled. There's an awful lot of Britain that are people from India who have settled now in in, uh, England and people from the Caribbean and so on. And so they may have a different point of view, but it wasn't allowed in the discourse in the United States. Or in England, except for that one comment I, I heard, which wasn't the joke, that wasn't on the BBC, but the comment by the Jamaican representative. Yeah. But I, what I, this means. I, I, I think the, you know, the, 
the history of colonialism and occupation and sort of theft and all of that stuff, I think it boils down to, on some level, people going, how can this thing that I enjoy, a.k.a. the royalty and all the pomp, Mm -hmm. be bad? You know, like you're trying to take something that I like away from me, you know? (laughs) I think it's maybe as simple as that. Um, It could be. And you might replace it with an honor to all those people who died for a a more equitable England and world, whether they're Gandhi or or unionists or anyone, with pomp and splendor and having unions marching and so on, and putting a whole lot of energy into eulogizing people who actually did the buildings in England, who rebuilt the buildings after they were bombed, the builders, many of whom came from other countries like Ireland. You know, but we don't have that for, um, we don't have that enjoyable splendor to commemorate the people who do the work. And that's something we ought to have. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. For the reasons that you say. Yeah. Penny, for your thoughts, Ikoi. I mean, you know, Japan also has a monarchy that is, you know, at once um, the fodder of endless gossip rags, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, at the same time, like kind of like a very similar uh, reverence. And I mean, you know, my mom's a big fan of, of the monarchy uh, and I'm always just like, why? You well, know, because a lot of my, my, my friends, their, their, their parents are, you know, even if, if they may have more progressive politics and there is a very strong sense of like, these are people that it's kind of like, you know, this is the symbol of, you know, the traditions of our country, the traditions of our culture. Even though some of those are highly suspect. Like <laughs> yeah, but that might be why right. it's a perfect symbol, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, because, you know, again, like, you know, it's not really about the individual people, you know, but like this lineage that, you know, spans over a thousand years unbroken kind of yeah as imperialism has expanded over hundreds of years unbroken leaving murder behind it in its wake and all those Mm -hmm. holocausts of africa and india and everywhere you know but i understand that people want to establish tradition and i also understand that the left hasn't had the authority or the pomp to celebrate the people who built, who oppose imperialism, and who built the actual buildings in which everyone lives and the streets on which they walk. You know, that hasn't been a public big celebration as it should be. How how old is the Japanese monarchy? Um, Let's see. I don't know the exact age. Let me look that up again i i really don't know enough about the the british history when it comes to all this stuff but from what i understand when the oh, monarchy so the japanese 
Oh, the Japanese monarchy is the oldest continuous hereditary monarchy in the world. Whoa. The imperial house recognizes 126 monarchs, uh, beginning with Emperor Jimmu, traditionally dated to 11 February 660 BC. Wow. Bad. So, yeah. So, yeah, we old. <laughs> That's almost yeah. 2,000 years old, right? Right. Uh, Wow. Yeah. And presiding over World War II. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, this is the issue, right? Like, uh, as the point in this article is making, though the feudal system was officially abolished in the 17th century, society was so stratified by deeply entrenched class disparity that essentially made no difference. <laughs> so that's what you're up against, essentially, is a long time mm-hmm. uh, in the course of history where things are a certain way and that stuff just doesn't die overnight and so the the battle to form any sort of republic in 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 britain is going to be a very uh long one i would have thought but yeah you know sometimes this stuff can just be dramatic um but the yeah the idea of overcoming hierarchy is a it's going to take a yeah a long time, a long time, right. especially overcoming hierarchy built on nothing but the accident of birth, no accomplishment, no contribution, and yet an elevated position, which was certainly illustrated with Prince Andrew walking there with all his uniform. My God, a pervert. I mean, that's also, you know, a, a real thing just in, you know, outside of the monarchy, like in the United States, you know, the the upper tier is, is all nepotism. Yes, it is. With an inheritance law that legally you can leave 12 million to your heirs, doesn't give everybody exactly an equal start. And, you know, it's interesting the way our country has changed. When Reagan took office, it was 600,000 that you could leave. And of course, we all understand that that 12 million that is left doesn't count gold that can be passed from one safe deposit to the next, or paintings, or any of those private property or all of these little dodges. And so it, it does cement inequality and in the way that this royal display is a cementing of inequality with $28 billion tied up and the health service deteriorating. It's amazing. Well, it, the Prince Andrew thing is phenomenal, particularly because I think just in the same way that there in the States you had Pizzagate, like this sort of uproar of like, there's all these paedophiles everywhere. We must right. get rid of the paedophiles. In the Britain, there's exactly that same thing of like there are in the news now. And, and again, we also you have these... Hunter Biden. I guess Hunter is kind of like, you know, the American equivalent of, of yeah. um, Prince Andrew in, in a way. Yeah, with financial bizarre. I mean, he's had drugs. he's had yeah. Well, I mean, he's had some some uh, uh, sex potential sex scandals, but again, you know, not uh, um, 
ultimately, right, you know, we've we've always had, you know, these issues of nepotism with, you know, the children of the wealthy is is not a new thing by any means. No. no, it isn't. But our country was supposed to be founded on its elimination. That's the difference. Right. Was it, though? I mean, because, you know, it was one of those things where, like, you know, only landowners, right? Right. It was, but it rejected um, inheritance as a basis of rule. And George Washington, slave owner though he was, did say that he would not run again. He would not continue to be president because that is too much of a, a royal mark. And they did try to put checks and balances in the government. Now, they never checked for who has the money to buy anybody's vote and means, but they did have other checks and balances. And they declared democracy all over the place. And that's different. I think uh, one of the interesting things that obviously came out of this whole uh, period of time <laughs> this enforced mourning on the country is that any critique was um, batted back because now is not the time, which is often what uh, you hear all the time when anything right. happens like this. I <laughs> mean, right. it's fascinating that uh, as, yeah, that Prince Andrew in particular was able to walk through the streets mm. With only one person actually heckling. I mean, that guy got arrested, right? So it's, uh, I think he got charged. I, I don't know. But also some other lady got charged because she had an abolish the monarchy sign. But it did say, um, fuck something or other. Um, and so I, in theory, she got arrested for the, the swear word. Oh, for the, okay, for, for profanity. Yeah. So, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's potentially kind of, it's mad in some ways like that that you have a free pass because because of royalty obviously but also like now is not the time you know like that's the one of those things that sort of tries to repress anything further being discussed Um, exactly and yeah it's it uh, i yeah it's been weird being here it has felt slightly like the scale at least the perception that has been created is that the scale of pro monarchy uh, is large, but I'm not sure if that is actually true. That's just how it looks because of so much media coverage. Um, But the media, you know, it's public media that BBC and their fawning worship of the monarchy. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole other thing going on in the same way that sort of Brexit was this long-term thing, mission that was uh, being figured out. Uh, the, there's there's a sort of anti-BBC thing that's been going on for a long time. And, and uh, you know, I can understand the criticisms, but it's because uh, you are basically, um, I was going to say forced, but in the same way that you pay for Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, you have to pay, I think, 160 quid or more a year um, for access to the BBC. And you get very intimidating letters <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you're if you not doing that. Um, 
And so it's very much uh, people, you know, are annoyed at all of that stuff and they're annoyed. They, You know, depending on where you are on the political spectrum, people feel that the BBC is too right-wing or it's too left-wing. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's a bit anti-BBC stuff. I'm a bit... Uh, I, I don't know what the truth of any of this sort of stuff is, but it's certainly I've seen stuff on the BBC that I'm, you know, makes me want to throw up. And then, but then I also have seen lots of great things on the BBC. So, well, they did have that one Jamaican representative, that one voice, but really the Queen's funeral was conservative ideology at full throttle, and that was in the US and the UK. And the worship of wealth and the denial that that wealth was created by your labor and you ought to have a say in it. You know, it's we bow down before the wealth and the pomp and the splendor. I'm not in England. If I were, I would wonder if now that the big show is over, if there are more allowable voices for nationalizing the monarchy and taking that 28 billion back. I mean, here's the thing, property and everything. It's mostly, you know, the stuff that, um, the hecklers were not in England, right? The hecklers were in, in Scotland and Wales. Um, so, you know, that's positive. Yes, <laughs> and given is. that the Scottish, you know, want to probably vote on independence soon, uh, this may or may not sort of, um, increase the likelihood of that happening. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Prince of Prince, Prince Charles was the Prince of Wales. And I don't think the Welsh really give, uh, again, it's very difficult to speak for a whole country, but <laughs> given the, the level of heckling when Prince Charles turned up in Wales, I, or, you know, King Charles, whatever. Um, yeah, the, it's I, the, the, the focus of the adoration of the royal family is more English centered than it is um, anywhere else. And I think it was, there was a Irish um, football match where they were chanting Lizzie's in a box very early right, on. Right, that right, was all right. over TikTok and Instagram. So yeah. the, 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 the feeling that that sort of feeling of like, yay, the monarchy is I think mostly in England. Yes, I think so. But I also think that even in England, those, you know, voices that were stifled by this wildly conservative adulation of the Queen may pipe up now that she's gone. Because the 70 years she reigned is a long time where Britain did do some noble things. It had a role in World War II and so on. And that's long over. And so, you know, I don't know what will happen. It really depends on whether there's a real Labour Party that emerges that's militant. Yeah. And I think a big part of the British thing is this sort of, and particularly what Brexit traded on was this sort of nostalgia for a time that possibly the people wanting that uh moment in time weren't around for you know it's like people born post-world war ii hearkening back to a time they didn't exist in and 
the queen's death is also a symbol of like yeah you can't go back <laughs> the thing that that's sort true. of anchored you to that moment in time is has gone that's is true. dead and yes. so there is maybe a sort of awakening that maybe happens now with like you know brexit's happened and we're not in a good place and no. and you know that was the past what what is the future um so that yeah that sort of sense of fellow feeling and that we can make the world a better place um i guess there's a lot of work to do well, and the, do. but in fairness yeah. you know the union stuff has really blown up around here yes it has and, and in the u.s too yeah it has it's the incipient realization of class that there's two classes the employer class and the employee class and the employee class has gotten the shaft particularly over the pandemic and people are angry to see the discrepancy in the class differences deepen also i think partly brexit passed because people wanted to do the opposite of what the elites told them to for a change yeah definitely even they shot themselves in the foot yeah there is definitely something authentic about the brexit vote in the sense that a lot of people were angry and this was a way of putting the boot in um it's the only way, you know, when you've got this shitty binary choice, but it's like, okay, well, at least I can do this. Uh, Vote no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, yeah. Well, one hopes that people will um, kind of emerge from this full throttle adjuration of conservatism and of a society that is based on inherited wealth and not merit or work on the part of the people who do the work to make things work. Hopefully it will have a boomerang effect. And the labor movement is a testimony to that, both in England and in the United States, which has more union organizing than it has in 50 years here of all different kinds. I mean, the minor leagues, are organized, the whole staff of the University of California system, from the tech workers to the lab assistants to the student um, teachers are organized. There's a, you know, ubiquitous awareness and approval of labor unions, which there hasn't been for a long time. Is that so in England that the average person supports this unionization and unions coming back after the miners' strike was so killed? Uh, well, certainly the rise of characters like Mike Lynch, I think that's his name, um, seems to have been embraced. And uh, they just very, there's just no bullshit. And they just own the space. Whenever they're given media time, they just own it. And yeah. they cut through everything and uh we'll see i mean there's definitely attempts to undermine them as characters i've certainly some very bizarre stuff and again this is one of those things where the left gets a bit strange where they all sort of do infighting there's a sort of semi-famous uh twitter personality well a couple of them have gone after one of these key uh figures of the union um saying that yeah. they are racist because they made some statement that they interpreted to be because they were talking. Eddie, was it well, Eddie Dempsey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, 
because they mm-hmm. there was some video of him talking in in a in a meeting and uh, he was talking about um the i think he was talking about why some of the brexit stuff happened and a big and why people who are um i guess sympathetic to these far right kind of white nationalist parties get sucked up by those parties because they're in sort of vulnerable positions because of uh you know no work or mm-hmm. whatever and it was interpreted on twitter by these sort of left personalities as him saying like he wants those white nationalists on his side and he's and i think that's i don't know if that's on purpose mis misreading of what he's saying um, i don't know either but i know in the u.s it was just recently exposed in the New York Times that the massive women's marches that happened when Trump was elected, where four million women in America marched, that that organizing group was infiltrated by the FBI and CIA to create problems accusing a Palestinian woman who was in the leadership of anti-Semitism and others of anti-black because they use identity politics to disrupt mass organizations. And I think that's what they did to Corbyn, accusing him of anti-Semitism in England to disrupt left unity. And the left has to catch on that whatever our differences, we have to unite and not allow this stuff anymore. Deal with it when there's discrimination, but deal with it within the group. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be part of that playbook. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, certainly the sort of power to the people, the mm. the the unions seem to be on the rise. And uh, given that we've now got Liz Truss as a prime minister, and or, you know her cabinet of like misfits, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. fight. There's a big fight happening yes. over the next couple of years. Yeah, um, and I think in the U.S. There will be two as the union movement grows and grows. It's the realization that those who do the work have got to be cut in finally after all these years. And that is empowering psychologically for the average person because, you know, it's not just in your head that you've been oppressed, but psychologically, if you unite and feel your own power, it's a wonderful self realization and freedom through the group and through connection maybe everyone maybe everyone should just dress up as royalty maybe that's the way to do it you know everyone just goes in fancy dress they walk into work in like a fancy robe and a crown (laughs) yes and boss the boss around yeah you will now refer to me as your majesty (laughs) yes right and you are your lowness we'll take the power back by sort of mimicking that's a good idea. Mm. That's a good place to end it, I reckon. We've done that yes, now. Yes, I think so. Yes. Okay. I will hit stop. Unless, Equal, you had any sort of final thoughts? I think ultimately part of, I think, whether it's, you know, politician worship or celebrity worship or monarchy worship, I think a lot money of times worship. people quite, yeah, money worship is all attached to those things. Yes. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's just money, right? I think a lot of 
people do kind of, you know, humans have this natural desire to be a part of some someone yes, else, absolutely. to be a part of something, something else. Something bigger than them. Right. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I it's also, you know, the I mean the concept of I think monarchy is also not just tied up in wealth, but you know, a cultural identity and national identity. Um, and those things are like a lot like, more difficult, I think, to necessarily immediately break down. No. Yeah, they'd have to be replaced yeah. with something else. So, so I ultimately, I a lot of you know the monarchy worship and then celebrity. I mean, because it's all kind of part of like the celebrity yes, it worship, is. right? Yes. Um, in a certain enough. way. Yeah. 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 Is kind you know ultimately like a lot of these are you know invisible values that we have in society hmm. so it's it's like you know it's like fish nut you know the the famous uh david foster wallace quote about you know water right um if you're a fish like you know you don't know what water is water is your environment right um and, and- that's true. And the environment, we'd have to change the environment, which hopefully we will. And these strikes are a part of. Right. But that, but that's the key thing, right, is that there's yeah. a cultural pressure to yes. emote uh, just like everyone else. Like uh, there's speaking to someone else the other day, <clears throat> um, he was just saying, Yes, you know, I shed a tear. And it was just a grown man. I don't know him. Just someone had knocked on the door. <laughs> right. And uh, he's telling me how, how he emoted, like, and was teary about the Queen. It's like, man, that doesn't happen with anything else. Right. No one's, yeah. it's like he felt uh, confident enough that I would also have shed a tear. Yeah. Um, As and, a cultural. And in fact, I would have said, no, I'm a man. I don't cry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, manosphere. Um, yeah. But but right. I think but I think that's the point is that like you say, there's this sort of expectation or a cultural pressure, and you don't want to stick out necessarily. Most people sort of do actually inherently <clears throat> uh, want to belong. So uh, it was just I very think it's dangerous to stick out in in many yeah. ways. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that union leader that speaks out is also adored because you also are longing for someone else to be the voice you can't speak. Yeah. So it's both. It is. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's it call is it a day good there. time. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Massive thank you as always to our VIP patrons, Alex Placito, Bruce Rogers Vaughan, Jennifer Cox, Justin Harper, Rebecca Johns, Seamus O'Connell, and Sheena Belmas. If you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program, you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home, which is a solo program that Harriet does through Democracy at Work, which is a worker-owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolff and the Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just in Your Head. And you can hear more from Harriet on her radio show called Interpersonal Update. It's on WBAI at 2.30 EST on Wednesday afternoons and in the WBAI archives.